0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, the fifth consecutive year where we've sat back on a Monday night and talked about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. I'm Dave Mitchell, glad to have you along this evening on the show, and I Don't think I can ever remember during the five years in which we have had such a subject-laden show as we do tonight. As a matter of fact, we've got a caller on the line right now to talk to us. And when I normally go down south and and, uh, introduce Mark Donahue, Mark, glad to have you along this evening, our resident Reds expert. But before I even get a chance to say hello to you and how you're doing, I want to bring in our first guest of the night, uh, on the phone, and he wants to talk to us, Mark, about just what he thinks about our show.
1: It's a disgrace. I'm sick of this. It's hard enough to win here to have every opponent know exactly what the we bring to the table every day. It's I don't like it. That's what I'm saying. Make it very clear I don't like the way that this is going at all. I don't like it. I don't think you guys need to know everything. And I certainly don't think that you need to see something and, and make it a world event. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm up a rope in this business. Because everyone has to know everything all the time. And that's not my obligation. It's not their obligation. I'm sick of listening to this shit. I'm sick of second guessing. You guys can do whatever the you want. But I'll tell you this I'm not going to tell you everything about this club because you guys are going to go out there and sniff it out anyway i don't like it one bit
0: gosh i i thought we had a pretty good show going here mark i guess we've started to get some people upset at us
1: well dave
2: i think <clears throat> clearly he was talking about you um, <laughs> i know you you and, and mr price have had words before but I, I think he may have taken a little far but the the idea that you told everybody some some team secrets really got under his skin, and I, I think we need to call Brian and have you apologize.
0: Well, we're going to get into this. I, I, I'll try to do that, Mark. I, I really need to get down, I guess, on on my knees and ask Mr. Price for forgiveness, considering the media did absolutely nothing during this entire outrage that he went off on them. But anyway, we're going to get into that. We've got a lot more as far as the Brian Price tirade last week is concerned. And, and the funny thing is, Mark and I, unbeknownst to us, boy, last, last Monday night's show was extremely prophetic, wasn't it, Mark? It was, in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't even realize it at the time. But anyway, before we even get into the Reds and Indians, in case you missed it, the Baltimore Orioles game was called off tonight because of the riots going on in Baltimore right now and and the strange situation about that entire thing is mark is that on uh, Sunday they actually asked the fans Saturday night I, I guess I should say to stay in their seats in the Baltimore game after the game because of all the riots that were going on outside they they actually feared for the fans leaving the stadium after that game Saturday night
2: you know it's interesting uh, there have been not similar, but there have been things that have happened in cities that uh, people have turned to the baseball team, like Boston with the Boston Marathon massacre up there, uh, 9-11 with New York, uh, even the, the earthquake in San Francisco a number of years ago, where baseball becomes the rallying point of, of bringing people together and healing and all those things. And I'm really surprised that Baltimore didn't attempt that. That, you know, bring big people together with an understanding of baseball and make it help heal the, the obvious wounds that are in Baltimore now. I was a little disappointed they did that when they canceled the game because I think it's been proven that in the past, uh, people have turned to baseball during times like this and, and baseball has reciprocated by uh, just making things better and more normal. I mean, even in World War II, uh, FDR decided to continue to have Major League Baseball because it it gave people a sense of normalcy, and I think that's probably what Baltimore needs right now.
0: Well, you talk about the Boston situation just a couple of years ago. You can go all the way back to the the nine eleven situation where you know the the Yankees, the New York fans rallied around the Yankees and the Mets. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think tonight they had any alternative considering what was happening around the city. But but I'll tell you, Mark, I, I don't want to get political. This is not a political show. But when people go out on the streets and riot and commit violence over a violent act that they're actually protesting, you've got to wonder what in the world they're trying to a- actually attain here and, and try to prove.
2: Well, it, I heard it today the mayor made a good point.
0: I forget her name.
2: But she's an African-American uh, female mayor and uh, apparently a pretty good mayor. And she said she applauds those people who are in the street protesting, making known their feelings. But she said those are not the people that are breaking and looting and, and throwing rocks at, at the police. That Those people do that for fun. They're, they're not protesting the, the horrible murder of that young man, and that's what I call it, is a murder. Uh, they're, they're just doing that because it's something to do on a, on a spring day. So there is a difference between protesting and uh, abject ho- ho- hoodlism, ism, and that's what it is. Uh, they're hoodlums. And uh, there, there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong with peace, peaceful protest, and in this case, it's certainly warranted. But uh, throwing a a rock through a store and then looting, that's not protesting.
0: Yeah, just because a kid, like you said, was was allegedly murdered by the police it doesn't mean that you can go out and get yourself a 60-inch TV screen or go to the local CVS, the local drugstore, and steal all the drugs that are available there. But anyway, that's what's going on in Baltimore right now, and we wish everybody there uh, good speed, but... As far as getting back to our show tonight with the Reds and the Indians, the Reds overall on the week were 3-3 and last week. The Indians were 2-4. and The Indians are losing tonight. Again, I'm going to get into the Indians and their plight that is going on, but we're going to get into the Reds also. But, Mark, I think the thing that we've got to start out with is a lot of people have heard about Brian Price's rant. I don't think you could go anywhere and not hear about 77 f bombs that Brian Price dropped on the media in a span of about five and a half minutes. And the thing about this, Mark, and I, I'm gonna—I've got several clips here of this tirade. Not all at once. We're gonna split it up and and play just certain situations in this this tirade that Brian went off on, and we'll go into as to why he went off on it also, but. This whole thing, Mark, when you you go back and look at it, and the first clip I've got is it just started out very, very innocently with a very, I I thought, an apropos question by a reporter.
1: Devin, right now, that you can update us with? Uh, Well, obviously he's not here. Um, Broke that story last night, apparently. Uh, He's uh, he's home for family reasons, um, and... uh, He will not return until tomorrow. Okay. Thank
0: you. Now, you and I talked about this last week because I was upset about the fact that Tom Brenneman, on the broadcast last Monday night, said that it was none of our business and none of his business as to where Devin Mezzarocco was. Now, at the time, Mark, I did not realize that Tom Brenneman was actually responding to what happened as this tirade went on prior to that ball game on Monday night. And I thought Tom Brenneman, and I still do, took the coward's way out of trying to react to this. And and that was the thing, innocently enough, that's what started the entire tirade.
2: Yeah, to this day,
0: I don't understand
2: the logic of what Brian Price was talking about. Uh, Number one, it is the responsibility of those reporters to get the story, they, they do not work for the Reds. <laughs> they are, they're the press and they're independent. Their, their job is to go get news and that's what they did. And if they can break a story, that's why they are hired by the Cincinnati Enquirer and other, you know, Fox Sports and others to go get news. So I, I, I'm a little perplexed at, what he was getting at. And number two, it wouldn't take an opposing manager very long to realize that Devin Masarocco is not on the bench.
0: Right, so, right. Yeah. And we'll, and there, there's a very easy way for him to figure that out, and we'll we'll get into that here in a second. But, you know, the thing that I was upset about was what Tom Brenneman said, that it was none of our business as to what was going on with Devin Masarocco. And, of course, Brian Price made the comment that, that was the first, that, that was actually, Mark, what Brian Price said there on that clip was the first time anybody had heard about what was going on with Devin Meseracco up to that point for a week. That was the first time anybody had said anything. And that's how this whole thing started, very innocently enough. And then the second clip I've got is this thing turned out badly, very quickly. On just another innocent question.
1: So you expect him back tomorrow? Can I ask you a question? Sure. I, I don't understand what the importance is for everybody to know if we have a player that's not here. Uh, it, we don't. We don't benefit at all from from the other teams knowing that we don't have a player. It does. You don't have to be a Reds fan, but it doesn't help us if our opponents know who's here and who isn't. That, that's what I want to know.
0: Well, I, as
1: as a fan, I'm wondering. Well, here's a spot for Devin Mesoraco. Why isn't he here? Where was the spot? It's a pinch hitter. I mean, he's an all-star with 25 home runs last year. He hits. I, I know you I asked if it was a left-handed bat. You said no. I, I just I don't get it. it. It's it's you know. Look, I don't I don't need you guys to be fans of the Reds. I just need to know that if there's something that we want to keep here, that it stays here. We don't need to know that tucker barnhart's in the f***ing airport when we haven't spoken to to kyle skipworth i think we owe that and that kid the right to be called and told that he's he's going to be sent down as opposed to reading that tucker barnhart's on his way in the, from from from
0: louisville i get what the reporter is asking mark but i am still failing to understand what brian price is trying to accomplish here look
2: this isn't about that story it's about the fact that the Reds finished in fourth place last year. Uh, they were a lousy team last year. They're pretty much of a lousy team this year. And this goes far deeper than uh, just that being ticked off at one of the Reds reporters. And in terms of Brian Price, I, I think his um, – I, I was kind of blown away by a guy like that. I mean, this guy, he went to Stanford or Cal Berkeley, one of them. He's a smart guy. Uh, would miss the point so completely that a reporter not working, let me emphasize that, a reporter not working for the Reds files the report he does. He's, He's obligated to do that. That's why he has paid. That's why he's a reporter. That's the part I didn't get. Now, I think Brian Price, if this team continues to lose, uh, you know, I think this sets the stage for his players to say, maybe this guy has just lost, you know, he's lost it. And that's what is the sad part, that he lost, he lost control, and uh, I don't think it had anything to do with Tucker Barnhart. Th- or, you know, hang oh, I- up.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it did either. But from what I understand, it was C. Trent Rosencrans, the, the Reds beat reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer. We've had him on the show. Is the one that broke the story about Tucker Barnhart being on the flight, coming to Cincinnati, and was going to take the place of Skipworth. Now, uh, the way I understand it, and, and I've gotten this from other media outlets, is that uh, simply all Rosencrans did was tweet it out. And unfortunately, Skipworth saw the tweet and immediately went into Brian Price. And I guess at that point in time, Brian Price was not ready to tell him that he was going down to the minor leagues. Well, what is the big secret, Mark? Skipworth hadn't been playing. They needed somebody to come up that had some major league experience, especially if Mesoraco was going to be MIA for the next two weeks. And instead of putting Mesoraco on the disabled list like the Reds should have done, In the first place, he's pinch hit three times in the last week. I mean, he's done nobody any good just simply by being a pinch hitter for this ball club. They should have either left Skipworth up here and brought uh, Barnhart up, but instead they decided they wanted somebody with major league experience to be the backup catcher for Pena while Mesoraco was trying to take care of whatever it is that he's trying to take care of, a hip, personal problems, whatever. And they didn't tell Skipworth in a, in a timely fashion, and he saw it before anybody else did. That is not a reporter's fault. That's the Reds' fault for the way they handled it.
2: Of course it is. And, it, you know, the the whole point being missed and for, for Brian Price to, to go off as he did, again, it is not about that issue. Uh, this guy is is probably another five or six game losing streak away from losing his job. And why you may have hung in there with a guy who was you know showing composure and and not letting the situation overwhelm him it's clear it is overwhelming him, and some of the you know aside from that blow up, the strategic decisions that Brian Price has made so far this year and some of the ones he did last year are real head scratchers dave
0: i mean yeah, some- we'll get it we'll get in yeah we'll get into that here in a second mark because then. The last clip that I've got on this is when Price, right after those two innocent questions, just went absolutely off on everyone in the office. It, it's got to be this way.
1: Has it always been this way? Where we just f- tell everybody everything? So every f- opponent that we have has to know exactly what we have, which f- relievers are available, which guys are here and which guys aren't here, when they can play, what they can do. It's nobody's f- business. It's certainly not the opponent's business. We've got to deal with this. F- I'd like to talk, and I have spoken as candidly as I can with you people. If if that's not good enough, I won't say a f***ing thing. I'll go, yes, sir, no, sir. And I can do that. But f***ing, I've been as candid as I can f***ing be about this team and our players, and we got to f***ing deal with this f***. Every f***ing team that we f***ing play has to know every f***ing guy that's here and what they can and can't do. F***ing me. It's a f***ing disgrace. I'm f***ing sick of this f***. It's f***ing hard enough to f***ing win here. To have every opponent know exactly what the we bring to the table every day. I don't like it. That's what I'm saying. Make it very clear. I don't like the way that this is going at all.
0: Mark, I I, I think the F-bombs are funny. Okay, I've got to be honest. I know a lot of soccer moms out there. I know Mo Egger brought in a lot, of, a lot of calls over the week, and so did Lance McAllister, that, oh, how terrible this was. Well, this is how people talk in the locker room. This is how people talk around Major League Baseball and all over athletics. I thought the whole F-bomb thing was funny. What I had a problem with was very simple. Brian Price has to write out a lineup card every night. And on those lineup cards on Major League Baseball, it has everybody on it and their numbers who is eligible to play that night. The opposing manager is going to know it. He's going to see who's in the dugout. What is the big deal over whether or not somebody knows if Devin Mezzarocco is in the stadium or not? He is still... I mean, for example, the, the most widely known one of all time, is the 88 World Series, where Kirk Gibson, nobody thought he was going to play, but he was in the dugout, and all throughout the game, everybody knew he was underneath the stands, including the Oakland A's, he could swing the bat, and right at the proper time, Tommy Lasorda puts him in. Is that what Brian Price is trying to keep the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs and everyone else away from seeing that maybe Devin Miserocco is able to swing a bat?
2: Well, we've already established, Dave, that there's no logic to it. Uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as the, the opposing manager looks at the other dugout, he can make a determination that Devin Mazarako isn't there. And you have to have a roster for a game. You can't surprise the other guy. You know what I mean? You, you, you right. have to have a roster. So before the game even starts, that the opposing team is going to know who's there. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And again, it's so illogical, you can't ascribe any kind of rationale to what he did and how he did it, other than there are other issues. Well,
0: those other issues, and I've heard from the Reds media through several outlets during the week, that he really wasn't upset at the media, he was more upset at the fact that, he had to go into a couple of games last week with 23 ball players and Walt Jockety didn't want to put anybody on the disabled list and that had a lot to do with it.
2: Yeah, and I don't blame him. And whenever you want to open that door to have me talk about Jockety, I will. But the, what's happened with this team is 1000% laying at the feet of Walt Jockety. And that kind of idiotic decision making has now been going on for last three years this this team had a chance to go to the World Series and compete in it and they didn't and now this team is going to be lucky to stay out of out of fifth place
0: why have they not put Devin Masarocco on the DL he's not been playing he hasn't caught in two weeks they could have put him on the 15-day DL they'd be right where they are now if they would have done that he's had three at-bats in the last two weeks, all of them in a pinch-hitting situation.
2: Dave, it's the same thing that the decision-making last year of of throwing J.J. Hoover out there ten times to lose, uh, having Burke Badenhoff as your middle relief guy with an ERA of about 11, uh, the, the decisions go on and on and on. They They are afraid to make moves. Today I saw on the banner, there were three or four trades made today. Why? Because teams are trying to get better, not the Reds. And they they stick with players unlike any team I am aware of. And I, I have actually looked online and, you know, a lot of players will release a pitcher after, you know, you have a bad month or six weeks and you're gone. Not the Reds. No, no. they'll keep him on the roster all year. Let him lose 10 or 11 games or have an ERA of six and keep throwing him out there. And I guarantee you, Bettenhoff is going to be out there for another couple months with an ERA around 7 or 8. Before they say, well, Gee, he's, he's not performing, better get rid of him.
0: Well, it, it, I, I didn't have this on the clip, but at one point in this tirade, Price makes the comment about the Sunday night game, a week ago Sunday night, that they played against the Cardinals, that Billy Hamilton was unable to play Because he had a hurt right finger and he was unable to hold the bat, he was unable to go up to the bat right handed and swing the bat comfortably. Nobody had ever heard anything about that up until that point in time. But I want to go back to what you have said the decision making and the strategy as far as Brian Price is concerned. Just because he can't swing the bat right handed, Mark, doesn't mean that Billy Hamilton cannot go out and pinch run for somebody, especially in that ninth inning when Schumacher let off with a base hit and they're down by one run, and you've got Billy Hamilton, the most prolific base stealer in baseball today, sitting in the dugout, ready to run, and Price doesn't use him in that situation.
2: Well, you could go on, Dave, and elucidate 20 examples like that uh, including not bringing in a left-hand pitcher when you have the best left-hander in baseball in the bullpen, or even bringing in Manny Parra uh, to face a left-hand hitter and keeping your right-hander out there. Uh, and, and they did that with Homer Bailey twice. Uh, those kinds of mind-numbing decisions that a little league coach would make, for some reason, are not being made at Great American Ballpark. And some of these things have to be weighing on the players. You know, players know what should be done. Now, when they see a move by a manager that is so counterintuitive or (laughs) counterintellectual, they're thinking, is this guy on drugs or is he just not too bright or is he inexperienced or what the hell's going on? The players know. And that's how you lose control of a team. That's when a team gives up on the manager when he keeps making dumbass moves they know it before we do you'll see them shaking their head like what is going on and that ha- that's happened at least a dozen times so far this year now part of it may be that jockety is not giving uh price the ammunition and and I grant that but some of these things are on the field on the bench and when you've got Jim Riggleman, a, a experienced major league manager as your third base coach, I just wonder how long uh, before Price is going to talk his way out of a game or out, out of the game as a manager.
0: Well, first of all, if I'm Bob Castellini, the first guy I fire is Walt Jockety, and then I worry about the manager, but that's beside the point. But the thing that you just mentioned was two left-handers in that game against the St. Louis Cardinals a week ago, Chapman and Manny Parra, and the person that you didn't bring up was Tony Singrani. And I've been asking about Singrani, and you've been, you've been answering the question, where's Tony Singrani? Well, Singrani finally pitched yesterday, but the last time Singrani pitched before that was on April 14th, two weeks ago, the same time that Mesoraco and actually left the lineup. That was also against the Cubs. That was for just a third of an inning at the time. And prior to that, Singrani uh, pitched two scoreless innings on April 12th against the Cardinals. Where in the world has Singrani been?
1: Well,
2: I wonder now, uh, given the news today that Homer Bailey is going on the disabled list, if they knew something might be up with him. Now, if they did... And they were holding back Sengrani to be a starter in case Bailey couldn't go, then I think that's a pretty good move. But not to use him in some of the situations where he clearly, I mean, he's a tough left-hander. And he clearly, clearly was the guy to come in and face a, a particular hitter. But maybe they knew that Bailey
1: was, on,
2: you know, tender hooks and, and, you know, wouldn't be able to, uh, um, take some of his starts that maybe have been the reason why they held him back. I I don't know.
0: Well, it doesn't sound like it's good news out of Homer Bailey. He's been put on the DL now with that sprained ligament in his elbow. And that normally leads to Tommy John surgery.
2: Yeah. When they said sprain instead of uh, strain, I I knew that was trouble. And, you know, again, the Reds gambled big three or four years ago uh, with Jay Bruce and with Homer Bailey and Zach Cozart and Joey Votto, and, Dave, it just hasn't worked out. And you can say all you want about, you know, what the Giants have done and, and people who have signed some big contracts, but the Reds can't afford to make mistakes, and they've made a lot of them.
0: And- well, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Mark. What do you think the life expectancy is on Brian Price?
2: I really don't know in, in terms of, of what Castellini. You know, he, he's – I don't know if Jockety has pictures or not, but I don't understand how they extended this guy after what this team has done the last two or three years. I don't even and, and the trades they've made are not made, and the signings. Dave, they've committed – you know, close to $400 million or more to four players. And none of those guys, t- today Brandon Phillips got his first extra base hit all year. And here he is it, going into May. Joey Votto, is the la- he's 0 for 14, uh, but he has no help. Uh, Jay Bruce is hitting 175. Homer Bailey's on the DL again. I'm really fearful as as a true Reds fan. uh, This is the direction this is going, Dave. Is is really frightening to me as a Reds fan. Martin, there's
0: two things that I want to bring up here: one for the Reds, one for the Indians. And and you and I discussed this a week ago when when I first heard about this Brian Price (laughs) rant. You know, Devin Mesoraco, if he's got a hip problem. That is not going to cure itself, especially as a catcher. Now I know you've come, you've come back and said that he can't play anywhere else. Well I got to tell you, Mark, they've got a huge hole in left field. The Reds do. Marlon Bird was brought over, but he's doing nothing. I think he's batting like 175. He's doing absolutely nothing in left field for the Reds. If I'm the Reds, I just go ahead and I stick Brian Pena behind the plate. Let him be my everyday catcher. And I put Devin Mezzarocco out in left field. And like I told you on the phone the other day, I just hope to high heaven that nobody hits the ball to left field. But he has got to learn how to play another position other than catcher. He is too valuable to the Reds as a hitter to be behind the plate and constantly be injured.
2: Well, I, I don't agree that you stick him in left field and forget about it this year. You, you don't teach a major league player to switch, switch positions mid-year in the, in the regular season. That should have been done in spring training. It should have been done two or three years ago. Look at Buster Posey. I mean, he plays other positions. and But you do it in spring training. You anticipate. And that's what is so aggravating. You're, you're so right. If you have a bat like that. Don't you want him to have an insurance policy that, hey, okay, if he, if he ever gets hurt, uh, let's see what he can do in left field. Let's see what he can do at first base. Uh, let, let, he, let him play winter ball and, and play some left field. Uh, but they don't do that. There's no creativity. And that is what is the frustrating part about the Reds. They're so, so conservative. Everything they do is from 1958. And this team is not going to suddenly turn it around. The the difference between the Indians and the Reds, the Indians are off to a slow start like the Reds. But the Indians have talent. They've got a good farm system. They've got good pitching. They've got a good manager. The Indians are going to turn it around, in my opinion. I don't think the Reds will.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that the Indians have a good farm system when they never bring anybody up from it, and that was what I wanted to get into here tonight. Uh Jose Ramirez, the starting shortstop, whom everybody knows I, I went off on a little mini rant about how the Indians only sent Francisco Lindor down to the minor leagues because they wanted to save another year of arbitration. Well, they've done that. And Jose Ramirez is at the major league level batting 192, with three errors in the first month of the season. Now he doesn't have any range as it is, and when this guy can't field a ground ball, and on the balls that he does get, he's not doing you any good at shortstop. Meanwhile, Francisco Lindor is down in Columbus, and he is hitting 302 through yesterday's games. It is time the Indians say enough is enough and bring this kid up to the major league level and let him play shortstop. This team right now, Mark, is 6 and 11. They're going to be 6 and 12 after tonight's game. They're going to get beat. They're down 6 to 2. Corey Kluber, the only prevailing thing that happened to him tonight was the fact that he got his 500th career strikeout. And He's going to lose his second consecutive game because the Indians can't score runs. They just can't do it. Michael Bourne isn't hitting. Brandon Moss started hitting in Detroit. And that's another thing, Mark, that I want to get into about our pitching staff against the Tigers. They've played the Tigers six games this year, and they've held the Tigers under four runs once. Now, somebody has got to sit down with Rick Calloway, the pitching coach, and say, the game plan that you got for the Tigers for our pitching staff isn't working. You've got to try something else. And so far, they've stuck with the same game plan, and they can't get anybody out in Detroit. It is just a comedy when we play the Tigers, just how badly the Tigers beat up on the Indians. Now, Lindor, as I said, 302. And and the thing about Ramirez is, Mark, he's got 51 at-bats. He's got 10 hits and 10 strikeouts. Uh, it, it's time they, they do something about this shortstop position, in my opinion.
2: Well, let's go back to the Tigers for just a second before we go to shortstop. Um, while I I hear what you're saying about their approach may be off, that Tiger lineup, that is a frightening lineup. I yeah, it is. I, I don't care who in the hell you're throwing out there. Those guys can hit. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: you know, it's it's one thing to get lit up by uh, you know Baltimore or somebody, but you know, getting lit up by Detroit, you know, well, uh,
0: it, it happens. <laughs> because well, the problem is you've got to play these guys nineteen times.
2: Yeah, I know, and, and clearly their approach has to change. But think about it for a second. The the, the Tigers remind me of the the, the hitting that was prev- prevailing back in the nineteen fifties. You had eight teams in the league, and, man, you had some lineups that were frightening. I mean, you had guys, the number eight hitter, you know, was hitting 275 and 29 home runs, you know, because the, they, they had fewer players on the major league rosters, and so there was a lot more talent. And the hitting back then was significantly ahead of the pitching back in the 50s. Now, in the 60s, it changed because they, they had to make some rule changes because the hitters are this clubbing the pitchers senseless. And then they, it went too far the other way. But the, the Detroit Tigers of 2015 remind me of the Detroit Tigers back in 1955 or 58. You know, Norm Cash and Al Kaline and all those guys. I mean, these guys can hit. So I, I hear what you're saying, but uh, I don't think there's any shame uh, in, in facing Detroit and giving up six or seven runs.
0: Well, and now I just got an alert. The, t- the, uh, Indians fell to the Royals tonight, six to two. So that game is over. Cody, uh, uh, Corey Kluber losing the game tonight. But, you know, Mark, if you've got a team that can't hit, you have got to play good defense. And you are not going to win games with a shortstop that isn't hitting and isn't <coughs> fielding. And, you know, you you complained last year about Zach Kozart. Yes, he was a good defensive shortstop, but he was batting 200. But the reason he played shortstop was because he was a good defensive shortstop. Jose Ramirez is batting under 200. He's under the Mendoza line, for crying out loud. And he's not playing good shortstop. And when you've got your, your phenom in Columbus that it's passed the arbitration time now. You've saved him for another year. That's another story. But it's time now for the Indians to say, it's Lindor time. Let's get him up here and play him.
2: Well, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think you were wrong at the beginning of the year. I think they should have taken advantage of that uh, arbitration issue. Uh, and they did. So at this point now, it should just rest on solely who can make a better contribution to the Cleveland Indians. That issue is behind them in terms of arbitration. And now it's a matter of, okay, if, if Ramirez is going to continue to hit under 200, yeah, at some point you, you've got to look at Lindor. And, you know, we've been talking about Lindor for four years. Yeah, we have. So either he's going to make it or he's not. And at, at, at some point, especially if the Indians are – If they're not going to be in it this year, if they continue to play at a 333 pace, uh, they're not going to win many games. So what do you got to lose by bringing him up?
0: Just get him up here and let's play some baseball. Now, the other guy that I wanted to bring up tonight is Nick Swisher. Well, Swisher has started playing down in Columbus. He played Friday night, didn't play Saturday and played in the second game of a doubleheader yesterday. And he played right field in the game yesterday. And by all accounts, Swisher came out of it feeling pretty well. And from the plate, he did pretty well also. He was 5-9 for in those two games with a couple of doubles, a couple of base hits. But of the four outs that he made, Mark, the funny thing about it is they were all strikeouts. Uh, Every time he hit the ball, he put it in play and got a base hit. And the other times, he struck out. And he's in no pain, but the Indians have come back and said that they're going to leave him down in Columbus for one more week, see what he can do, see how he feels, and then they'll bring him up. And I think their plan is is that they're going to have a three-headed DH, right fielder, first base combination between him, Moss, and Santana. And they'll just rotate those guys between DH right field and first base. And hopefully Swisher can settle into that six or seven spot in the batting order because they, they really need him. If he could come back and play like he did two years ago, he'll be an addition to this lineup. The Swisher that was here last year won't be an, an addition.
2: Yeah, but how could you take Moss, the guy that, you know, was probably their biggest trade of the year. And rotate him with two other players. Doesn't he deserve to be in there, or shouldn't he oh, be yeah. in there every game? They'll all
0: three be in the lineup at the same time. They'll just rotate them between DH, oh. right field, and first base. Okay,
2: okay. I, I got you. I thought you were saying that he is going to be playing, you know, half the games, and that's not
0: what he brought that. No, down. no, 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 no. no that, yeah, they'll just they'll just rotate them. So, you know, that that's what I think the Indians have planned, and Gomes. Jan Gomes, the catcher, he's out for at least another month as far as his knee is concerned. Michael Brantley's back is still bothering him, but he seems to be hitting the ball on a regular basis since April 17th. He's hit 419. He's got 10 singles, 3 doubles, 2 runs scored, 2 walks, a stolen base, and 5 RBIs. For a guy that's playing with a bad back, that's not too bad.
2: No, it's not. And uh have they determined how long Gomes is going to be out
0: at least another month
2: yeah we talked about him last week i i really like his bat and uh you know it, it, that may be the time that the indians you know catch fire but uh you know without that that bat in the lineup that that team is certainly uh not what they anticipated it would be this year
0: well the last 2 years the indians you know a year ago or 2 years ago They made the playoffs by a game. They had a terrible April. Last year, they missed the playoffs by three games. They had a terrible April. This year, the future is still in front of them, and they're having a terrible April. I don't know what this team's got to do to get off to at least a five hundred start in the month of April, Mark.
1: Well,
2: uh, there's no explanation for it. Uh, You know, some teams are, are... Uh, you, you've mentioned it many many times a lot of this cold weather uh, a lot of teams do not start hitting until the warm weather pitching dominates it always does in april and if your pitching isn't up to par uh you know you're you're not going to have a good april but uh you've mentioned it like they would say the Indians would play the angels and the angels would open up in Cleveland <laughs>
1: yeah
2: <laughs> as opposed to going to california and I, I looked at the schedule after you had said that. And there were four or five situations like that. If, if they're going to play, why wouldn't you move them to a warm weather climate to play and they have good weather out there? It makes no sense.
0: And and who's the team in the American League with the worst record? The Cleveland Indians.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, and and who's leading the American League West, Mark? Uh,
2: the Houston
0: Astros. And you, I was going to say
2: was, I, knew, I knew they were first or second, but
0: yeah, the Houston Astros. Okay, before we get into the big trade that happened today. The big story in the National League Central, the Adam Wainwright injury. He's tore his Achilles heel. He's out for the year. How much does that hurt the Cardinals, and what does that do to the rest of the teams in the Central?
2: Well, I think what it did, it, it took away the possibility of any team winning more than 86, 87 games this year in the National League Central. I, I think that division is going to beat each other up all year. Uh, Wainwright kind of brought the Cardinals back to the rest of the pack. I think with Wainwright, the Cardinals could have won 90 games. I don't think they will this year. So every game in the Central played within the division is going to mean, uh, mean a lot this year. And, you know, I saw the Cubs play over the weekend, and they beat the Reds twice. I'm still not convinced they've got the starting pitching that's going to lead them to, to fame and fortune this year at least. I think they're at least a starter away. Uh, I don't think Lester is a legitimate number one guy. I've said that all year. And I saw him pitch – I've seen him pitch three times this year. And I'm just not impressed. I think he's a good pitcher. But, my gosh, he's he's, he's not a guy like a Wainwright or a Cueto who you know, shut down or, or Clayton Kershaw – there's five or six guys out there that, you know, they are legitimate number ones in, in your rotation, and I don't see it in Lester unless I'm missing something.
0: So no, I, think- I agree with you. I, I think the only reason Lester got the big name was because it was in Boston. You know, that East Coast bias always happens.
2: Yeah, it does, and I, I think now you, you have to wonder, um, w- when you have such a dearth of starting pitching and – I wonder what, um, you know, the the Dodgers lost McCarthy, too, today. Yes. And I wonder, again, does this sweeten the pot for a Johnny Cueto? What could you get from the Los Angeles Dodgers today for Johnny Cueto?
0: Well, you know what? That's a very interesting question because you could pit the Dodgers and the Cardinals against each other because I'll bet the Cardinals would be interested in him now, too.
2: Well, they may be, but I don't think the Reds would trade him to the Cardinals. And don't forget, Johnny Cueto, uh, was at the, you know, he was at the start of that, uh, that ruckus they had with the Cardinals. Uh, he kicked, uh, Jason, the catcher, LaRue, kicked him in the head. And I don't think the Cardinal fans would want Cueto to come back to that team. I don't know, but to me, Johnny Cueto is a perfect, perfect fit for the Dodgers. And, uh, they have the, the talent, uh, to give the Reds back. And, uh, if the Reds continue to fall down the, you know, the standings and they're 10, 12 games out by the end of May, and they may well be, uh, I'm, I'm certain the Reds are going to trade Cueto. They, they have to. They have no choice.
0: What is wrong with the Milwaukee Brewers?
2: I don't know. I've seen them play now seven or eight times. And um, you know it. The, the thing that is most noticeable to me is the downfall of Ryan Braun. I mean, this guy, you know, two or three years ago, he, he was he was one of the most fearsome hitters in baseball, and now he is being pitched to. And of course, you go back and you say, well, how much of his performance was steroids? And th- this is a perfect example of some players who have come back to Earth over the last two or three years. And he was one of the most egregious users of steroids. And right now, unfortunately for him, it appears that those steroids had a huge impact on his performance. And that that's... You know, it's it's undeniable when you have such a clear-cut example of before and after.
0: Somewhere, a former delivery driver for FedEx is laughing his butt off at Ryan Braun right now. The big trade today, Josh Hamilton got traded back to the Texas Rangers for basically a bag of balls, a broken bat, and some money.
2: Well, I... <laughs> I'm a fan of Josh Hamilton I, 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 only because I feel sorry for him. Anybody who has the talent that he has and to see it dissipate over what he has put into his body. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. And those of you out there who have not seen videos of Josh Hamilton when he was 14 and 15 years old, it is frightening. This guy could have played in the major leagues in high school. He was that good. I, I've never seen anybody that powerful, that strong, uh, and such a good hitter, such a good fielder. He could throw a ball 95 miles an hour as a pitcher. Uh, and, and to have his talent eroded so dramatically because of alcohol and drugs, that's really a tragic situation. So I hope going back to Texas gives him, you know, an opportunity to play the next three or four years until he retires. and and recapture some of that glory because that guy was as good as there ever was.
0: I've got a couple questions for you about this deal. First of all, what does it say about the Angels organization that one slip-up and they were ready to get rid of Josh Hamilton immediately?
2: Well, I don't know this to be the case. I don't think a team does it with one slip-up. I think they may have known that there (laughs) there were – lots of slip-ups that maybe didn't go noticed or didn't get publicized uh, because you don't give up on a talent like that. And like you said, they, they didn't get anything back for that except money, and they sure as heck don't need money. But they must have known something we don't know. Maybe their press corps is a little more discreet than the Reds' press corps. But, uh, you know, Josh Hamilton has not been anything near what he was when he was in Texas, and maybe that's what he needs. To go back there and, uh, people in Texas loved him. They, they didn't love it when he left. But, uh, you know, th- th- that's another interesting thing. You look at that Angels organization, talk about a team that missed, missed the train. They had as good a lineup as I've ever seen. And, you know, with, with all the talent they had, they could not win a world series and giving up on Hamilton, I think it says, You know, they're going with younger players and kind of starting over.
0: Well, you know, Josh Hamilton had his best years with the Rangers, and he had that support system that the Rangers set up for him that really seemed to be tailor-made for him. And it probably was tailor-made for him. But I guess the question that I've got, Mark, is I think the reason that that system was tailor-made for him was because of the manager at the time. Ron Washington, because he had the same demons that Josh Hamilton was dealing with, with the, the addiction that he was dealing with on a daily basis. So he knew what Josh Hamilton was going through. They they could deal with it together. But now Ron Washington is gone. He's no longer the manager of the Rangers. Is it the same Texas organization that is going to have the same support group that Hamilton thrived in, or is this going to be a totally different thing for Josh?
2: I think it'll be totally different, and I I think that's what uh, led him to leave the Reds, that he needed such babying, and the guy's down, what, 33 years old? It's time to grow up, and I I think in terms of what if 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 a grown man with a family, with his history, with his money, with his talent, if he's not smart enough now to figure out this is your last chance, then he doesn't deserve to, to have a team uh, have to baby him through the ups and downs of stardom. I mean, I, I remember somebody saying once when a rock singer had killed himself that, yeah, the guy was making millions of dollars a year. He had all the women in the world. He was playing music. He was young and handsome. Yeah, he couldn't handle it. And it's the same thing with Josh Hamilton. At some point, he's got to grow up, or he's going to end up, you know, in a bathroom somewhere and taking too many drugs, and that is a distinct possibility with a guy like that.
0: Oh, it is, and and, you know, we didn't get into it last week, because quite honestly, I didn't think it was really sports-oriented, and maybe it isn't, but this week, it's a little more prevalent. You know, Hamilton filed for divorce from his wife, and there have been several reports out there, Mark, that whether they're true or not, but allegedly she was the reason that he has had this kind of a problem for years because she just has not allowed him to get off of the stuff. Now, that's what the reports are. I'm, I'm not saying that's the case, but Josh filed for divorce about a week ago, and if that is the case, that may have been the very step that he needed to take.
2: Well, yeah, you could say that she was not encouraging him to come off the stuff, but again, he's a grown man. And you know, if you've got all the opportunities in the world that a person could dream of and you'd rather do drugs, then it's, it's not your wife's fault. It's your fault.
0: No, I agree with you. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, but there are people that are attached to enablers.
2: That's true. Uh, but that, that's, that doesn't excuse them. It might excuse them when they're 20 or 21 or 22. Not when you're 33, 34, and you have a couple kids, and this is your career. He's a, this is still a young man. And had he not got into that stuff, it, you know, God knows the records Josh Hamilton may have set. Again, he was a special talent. Uh, but he, uh, hopefully I like him. I hope it works out for him, but it's kind of hard to feel sorry for him after a while.
0: Well, before we wrap up tonight's show, Mark, I want to get into what's going on as far as the, the search for Dylan Michael. You've got a very outstanding event going on this weekend as far as that's concerned.
2: Yeah, it's kind of cool. We, we have on May 2nd and 3rd uh, in Dayton, Ohio at the Action Sports Complex or Action Sports Center, it's a 1301 Gateway Road in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's an it's a amateur sports complex with eight baseball fields, a 30,000-square-foot clubhouse, batting cages, weight room, all these really neat things that kids around here in the Dayton area take advantage of. They play a lot of games there. And we've teamed up with Action Sports to have our first Search for Dylan Michael audition and tryout. And for those of you who have not heard about this, if you go to our website at lastadbatthemovie.com, you can see we're looking for three young men to play Dylan Michael at various stages of his life. And Dylan Michael is a star in our, in our book and script. And, uh, he, you know, he's a, a character that we want to follow his entire life. And we decided to get three players between the ages of eight and 12, 13 and 15, and one between the ages of 19 and 21. To play Dylan through his life. So we are having tryouts and auditions in Dayton, and this will be the first of maybe ten to twelve tryouts around the country. In, in fact, we're going to be in Cleveland uh, trying out young men. But we're also looking for a hundred or so other players, maybe over a hundred, who can be Dylan's teammates and opponents throughout his life, even at the major league level. So If you can play baseball, and that is one requirement because we're going to get real baseball players, if you can play baseball, ever thought about being in a movie, what we think is going to be the next great baseball movie like Field of Dreams or Bull Durham or The Natural, uh, this is an opportunity because uh, what I think you ought to think of is American Idol meets baseball. That's what the search for Dylan Michael is. uh, we're very excited about the response we've gotten down here in Dayton. Uh, we anticipate, uh, you know, over a hundred young men showing up and we are looking for a couple of young women. After what Monet Davis did last year in, in the League World Series, uh, we have found uh, a left-hand young lady out of Cincinnati who's coming up and, uh, she may be an opponent facing Dylan Michael in the film.
0: Mark, what do you, what do you have to do to register to get involved with this and what are the hours that this will be going on on the weekend?
2: Again, go to our website, lastaboutthemovie.com. All the details are there. And, uh, the hours, if we go from nine to noon on both Saturday and Sunday and also from one to four on Saturday and Sunday. So you have two sessions each day. If it's something that you want to do, uh, if you're under 18, you need your parents permission to do it. And you can show up in Dayton and uh, take advantage of what I think is a great opportunity and also have a lot of fun. So we're excited about it. The response has been terrific, and we're looking forward to our first uh, audition and tryout.
0: You're having fun doing this, aren't you?
2: It's a, it's a real kick. We were at the uh, – <laughs> uh, Linda Jordan and I, uh, we we're, were at the Action Sports Center yesterday, and a number of the kids who are going to be trying and, trying out next week uh, they came up and, and they were so nice and uh, so kind in their comments about the book. They, they really enjoyed the book and you can tell how excited they are and it makes us so excited, uh, you know, to, to put this on and hopefully we'd love to be able to find our Dylan Michael here in Ohio somewhere. But uh, even if we can't, I think the kids will have a great time uh, getting in front of the camera. We're going to videotape them, not only playing baseball, but also reading lines, reading script, and uh, I, I think it'll be a really cool experience for the for the kids, and uh, uh, it, it's a cool experience for us. We we're very excited about it.
0: You know, a lot of people have heard us talk about Linda Jordan, Mark, on, on on several of the shows. We've thought about bringing her on, but we'd never get a word in edgewise if she came on the air.
2: That's true, David. You don't want to do that. She, you know, what she would do, she would take over the entire show, and we'd be off.
0: That's right. That's that's right. I mean, no, you know, you know, but no, some no. week that we want to have a break, we'll just bring her on and let her talk about that's right. it.
2: Right, and she knows more about it than we do. I mean, she she's <laughs> a, she's a fledgling baseball fan, but she is very opinionated. And for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, Linda Jordan is my co-producer on Last at Bat, the movie, and uh she is a invested partner in in the project. And uh, we couldn't have done anything we're doing without her. So. Dave and I are teasing her, but uh she's a real asset to the cause and those of you who show up uh this weekend or whenever we have a tryout uh make sure you you meet Linda
0: yeah you're you're absolutely right, so as we wrap up tonight's show, mark, the Indians lost to Kansas City six to two they are now six and twelve on the year. The Reds it looks like they're going to go on and defeat Milwaukee tonight. they're leading Milwaukee nine to two in the bottom of the sixth inning, so that should up their record to nine and ten overall. So even though Brian Price is going on a profanity lace tirade, the Reds are still close to five hundred, while Terry Francona, who has never done anything of the sort, is now six games under five hundred, as we are with only a few days left to go in the month of April. So it should be very interesting. As far as the Reds are concerned the rest of this week, Mark, what do the Reds have coming up?
2: Well they got four games or of three games here with Milwaukee and then they uh let me see, I don't have the schedule in front of me. Uh they go to I I can't get to it right now. They're on the road in Atlanta. That's that's right. They go to Atlanta and then they go to Pittsburgh over the next nine games. So Milwaukee, Pittsburgh and Atlanta.
0: Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, they've got Kansas City tomorrow night and Wednesday night, they're off Thursday, and then this weekend They will be entertaining Toronto Friday night game and then Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon. So we'll be back next week to talk about more about the Reds and the Indians next week, Mark, and that will be the first Monday night in May.
2: All right. Sounds like the plan, David.
0: We've already got one month of the regular season underway and gone
2: already. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to football. I want some warm weather.
0: I, I do, too. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, Dave. Hey, want to let everybody know uh, right now that the Ultimate Sports Talk Show, I've been taking a few months off of that as far as the play-by-play duties of high school basketball and football have been going on. That will be coming back, and that will be underway A week from this Thursday night, the first Thursday night in May, we will return with the ultimate sports talk show. That is at seven o'clock. And this Friday, we've got high school baseball for you. As Triway, Worcester Triway High School will be at Waynedale High School in Apple Creek, Ohio. Patrick Mitchell and I will be on the air for the first pitch at about four fifteen. On Friday afternoon, we'll have that game for you. Mark and I will be back again next week with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along here this evening. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Our thanks to all of you who listened and to Greg Mitchell, our producer. I'm Dave Mitchell. Don't forget, next week at 9 o'clock, another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.
2: The WizKids Kids and want it. Bobby Thompson had done it,
0: and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller,
1: the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie,
0: Mickey and the Duke